Turn your Bibles to Job 38, and as I preach the sermon, you can follow along through these chapters in the book of Job. If you're watching by way of television or live stream, our VBS registration will be open until Wednesday at noon. Then you can call the church. You can still register, and we'll tell you what to do after that. We already have over 1,000 kids registered. The easiest way to register is register online. So please go online and do that between now and Wednesday at noon. Have you ever watched a bald eagle catch a rising thermal and glide totally out of sight without ever flapping a wing? How did he learn to do that? Those who have watched it have called it one of the most awe-inspiring events that one could possibly behold. It makes you wonder. Ever sit and observe a garden spider construct its web from scratch? You can't help but know that an amazingly creative God has given it the incredible instinct to spiral inward in an intricate pattern that is duplicated perfectly every time the spider spins the web. Ever sit in total absolute darkness in a cave? So dark you can feel it pressing upon you. So dark you're afraid to move even a foot lest you fall. So dark yet you listen to the high-pitched chirping of the bats as they effortlessly negotiate the cavernous spaces, their echolocation capabilities so finely tuned, they're able to tell exactly where they are and return to the exact same roosting spot every single evening makes you wonder. Ever laid on your back for hours in a West Texas night where there's no city lights to adulterate the sky, watching the full measures of the glory of heavens and stars shine with brilliance as if they're shouting? The Milky Way is so spectacular, it seems like a solid river flowing from horizon to horizon. It makes you stand in awe of God's personal love, comparing yourself to this expanding universe, and, and yet God knows you personally and wants you to know him. It makes you wonder. Ever hiked in the Rocky Mountains of the backpack and absorbed the evergreen-laden air and felt the crisp freshness of the dawn as the sun slowly appears, is revealed over the face of the peak standing the edge of a year-round snow field in the middle of July and looking to the verdant valley below as the streams meander through the meadows, it makes you, it makes you wonder. Ever hear a, a baby's rhythmic giggle the first time she discovers the wet nose of a pup? It makes you wonder. In Job 38, if you know the Jobian dilemma, Job is at a dark night of his soul. Job's own theology and the theology of Israel was crumbling before his eyes. He had lost everything, his family, his wealth, his health, yet he had no sin that might contribute to his own demise. So he looks to the heavens and Job asks the question that we sometimes ask, why God? Job wanted some answers for all of his loss from God. 
Why had Job suffered when Job was a righteous man? Job felt, given the unearned hardships of his life, that God owed him some answers, some very good answers as to what was taking place. In the book of Job, by now, a lot of people have been speaking. Job has been speaking, and Job's friends have the problem of verbosity. They have been speaking a whole, whole lot. But now, in Job 38, it is time for God himself to speak. God breaks these tedious tirades of the other characters of the book and answers Job himself. You've been waiting for it if you've read the book of Job. You've heard what Job has to say and what his friends have to say, quote around friends, but now you want to know what God will say as an answer. You feel the tedium and the tension, the anguish and the anger, the doggedness and the despair of the Jobian drama, and you're ready for God like Job is. God, explain it all. At last, across the drama of the stage of the text, God walks and God speaks. Okay, Job, you want some answers, big boy? I'll give you some answers. And he comes in the whirlwind there, verse 1, seeing the tumbleweeds end over end in its wake. A burning bush, a ladder of angels, a still small voice, a wheel within a wheel, a solar eclipse, a sheet filled with animals, a trumpet sound. These in Scripture all represent the coming, the arrival of the Lord. God, much to our disappointment, Seldom ever comes the same way twice, does he? We want to put God in a box, but God always breaks out of our boxes and our predictions. God does not come and enter the orderly courtroom like Job wants him to do. Instead, he comes in the chaos and the power of the whirlwind. God comes, and God does not condemn Job for some secret sin. Instead, God, he chides him for his barrage of empty words about subjects that are way beyond Job's knowledge. Job is bombarded by suffering beyond his comprehension or control. And Job sends a scattershot, a verbal scattershot to defend himself. Job's faith, much like yours and much like mine, was too small to cover the contingency of a righteous person suffering undeservedly. Job has challenged God, and now it's God's turn to challenge Job. Job, brace yourself like a man, big boy. I will question you. You've been questioning me. It's my turn to ask the questions. God asked 64 questions. I hope I never hear these 64 questions from God. I'm going to arrange these questions around three different themes. First of all, verses 4 through 21, God's questions concern the source from which creation began. Job, do you know anything about the source from which creation began? Job, where were you when I was pouring the foundation of the earth? Tell me if you know as much as you think you know. You know so much, Job, about the earth. Did you, are you the one that got out there and figured the measurements? Did you stretch the line on the earth? Oh, what does the earth suspend? 
Who laid the cornerstone of the earth? You know, Job, you were there when the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy. Tell me about it, Job. Hey, Job, who enclosed the sea with doors? When the sea burst forth from its womb, who made the clouds in thick darkness a garment for the sea? Job, when? Job, I ask you when is the last time you yourself ever commanded the morning to appear? Have you ever in your life caused the dawn to rise in the east, Job? Have you found the springs that are the source for the sea? Have you yourself walked in the recesses of the deep? Have you seen the location of the gates of death? Tell me, Job, come on. You seem to be doing the question asking. Come on, I'm asking you. Job, where does light come from? And how do you get there to where it is? But of course, Job, God says, you know all this, for you were born before it was all created. And Job, you are so experienced. It's tough to go to trial with God. It really, really is. And, and Job discovers that. The second series of questions, the first was the sources. The second series revolves around the question of what systems, what systems upon, upon which the earth depends, beginning in verse 22 through 38. Job, do you understand the snow? Do you? You know all about the snow. Have you walked in the great storehouse where I keep all of the snow? Or how about that storehouse for the hell? That's got to be West Texas, right? What about, I'm going to go out on a limb on that one. <laughs> have you been there? I'm sure of that. Does the rain have a father? Or where does the dew come from? Who is the mother of the ice and the frost? Can you hold back the stars, Job? Can you restrain Orion or the Pleiades? Can you ensure the proper sequence of seasons or guide the constellation of the bear with her satellites across the heavens? Job, what about all these systems? Snow, hell, the stars, the seasons. Do you understand all of those, Job? The mystery of the control of creation is illustrated by a panel of economists. These were economists, banking, finance, that's where they do their deeds. The moderator asked a final question. What is the most powerful factor that impacts the world's economy? What is the number one thing that shapes the world's economy? And all of these economists had exactly the same answer and spoke in unison and said, the weather. The weather is the single most powerful, impactful, unpredictable part of our economy. It wasn't Wall Street, it wasn't interest rates, wasn't anything the Fed does, it wasn't labor unions. All the economists said the one thing they agreed about was weather is the most powerful impactor of the economy, sources and systems. A third set of questions in Job 39 involves the specialties of the animals. Job, do you understand the specialties of all the animals that I have created and distinguished? Job, have you ever watched the mountain goat give birth? Have you observed the calving of a deer? Do you know how many months of pregnancy they need to have? 
Did you make the ostrich dumb, devoid of good mothering instincts? Did you cause her to just lay her eggs and leave them on top of the soil and walk off so other animals would eat them or stomp them? And yet when she wants to run, she passes the swiftest horse and rider. Did you make the ostrich with her curious combination of strengths and weaknesses? Did you create her that way, Job? Are you the one, Job, that gave the horse his might? Did you clothe his neck with a mane? Did you make him leap like a locust? His majestic snorting is terrible. He paws the valley and rejoices at his strength. Did you make the horse, Job? Is it because of your understanding, Job, that the hawk soars? Is it at your command the eagle mounts up and makes her nest? 40, chapter 40, verse one. Well, Job, you fault finder, do you want to continue in the conversation with the Almighty? Look at chapter 40, verse one. Then the Lord said to Job, will the fault finder contend with the Almighty? Let him who reproves and challenges God give an answer. By this point, uh, you can hear the folding of Job's cards in the debate with God. Lord, I think I've said too much already. I think I've spoken too much. You know what? I'm good. I'm good. Whatever happens, I am good with it. I have said too much already. You see, God's overarching point in this Jobian dilemma? Job, if you know that I'm the creator of the world... In all of its wonder, and all of its mystery, can you ever trust me without pulling back the curtain completely and having to know everything of the mysteries of my hand? When we cease to wonder and marvel at the universe, everything around us is a testimony to the existence and the power of God. And when we don't stand in awe and wonder of God, the creator and his creation, some really bad things happen. The universe is extremely complex. We'd all admit that, extremely marvelous. And and could all this just have happened by accident? You've got to be kidding me, right? Let's say you cross a valley, maybe like our own canyon here. You find some stratified stone with layers stacked upon layer of different color. And you might say, I could see throughout the years how the sediment collected at different times and different sediment of different weights. There was a repetitive pattern. And I can see by chance of nature and design of God, that might just happen naturally. Let's suppose you walk a little further and you come upon Mount Rushmore the faces of four human beings appear on a granite cliff. Now you would conclude that unlike that stratified stone with layer upon layer, that this didn't just happen by nature or by accident or random natural forces, you would, you would insist that someone made those faces. You would say, this is no freak of nature. I know there is an intelligent being, a designer, an engineer, an artist behind this. It wouldn't matter if you didn't recognize any of those faces, Washington, Jefferson, Lincoln, or Roosevelt. It wouldn't matter if you didn't know a single face on the mound. 
It wouldn't matter if you'd never heard of the use of dynamite and how artists can do that and granted, and you had no idea how they did it. No one would be able to convince you that these faces on Mount Rushmore just happened by accident. It's not erosion, or water, or wind. You would know there's an intelligent design behind it. How, I ask, can any of us bright or dull Look at the wonders of this world, the human eye, human birth, a mountain scene of flame with a call to fall colors and not believe in an intelligent God, a designer, a planner. All of this just happened by chance. It takes way too much faith to believe that. Let me transport you a moment to the sophisticated lecture hall of Cambridge University where Dr. John Polkinghorne, president of Queens College at Cambridge, was lecturing. His book's entitled The Quantum World has been held by Physics Bulletin at the Times, one of the finest of his genre. Polkinghorne eloquently argues that the existence of God is shown in our finely tuned and intelligible universe with an exactitude demanded in every detail that the atheist thinkers are hard pressed to ever explain how any of this could have just happened. The early expansion of the universe, there has to be a close balance between the expansive energy driving things apart and the force of gravity pulling things together. If the expansion dominates the equation, then matter flies apart too rapidly. There's no condensation in the galaxies and stars to take place. Nothing could exist in so thinly a spread world. On the other hand, if gravity dominates at the moment in the equation of the creation of the world, then it falls in upon itself. And the exactitude required for the earth to exist has been compared to aiming at a target an inch wide on the other side of the observable universe, 20,000 million light years away and hitting exactly the mark. You have to wonder at the majesty and the exactness of God. One scientist was asked to describe his research project in 150 words, and he wrote three words 50 times. I do not know, I do not know, I do not know. There is so much that we do not know. When we lose the childlike wonder of the universe, there are consequences to our reduction of the mystery and the power of God as creator. First of all, when we fail to hold God in awe and wonder, all of life is reduced to merely the material, the physical and the biological. All of life is reduced to merely the material, the physical and the biological. Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. pleaded with the nation to turn his back upon past hatred. In his acceptance of the Nobel Peace Prize, Dr. King said, I refuse to believe the notion that man is a mere flotsam and jetsam in the river of life, unable to respond to the eternal oughtness that forever confronts him. There's a transcendent value to human life. In contrast, a materialist is forced to the theory of randomness, cannot avoid the reduction of man to nothing but flotsam and jetsam in nature. When there's a loss of the wonder of the creative hand of God, there's a reductionistic view that everything that is beautiful or virtuous 
or ascetic. All of life comes down to rags of matter and chemical and physical reaction and the strongest reactions win the day and man becomes nothing but another blip on the world's radar screen. The noblest is reduced to the lowest and love is nothing but merely glandular. What a tragic, tragic philosophy the anti-theist begets. For the higher up he scales the pinnacle of evolution, the more he is reminded of his own utter insignificance. Not only is there a reduction when the wonder fades, but there's a loss of gratitude. When we begin, when we lose our wonder of God the creator, when we the creation no longer acknowledge his boundaries and his creation, we lose our gratitude for there's no one to be grateful to. If the universe is just here and you are just there, there's, there's no one to give thanks to. And yet we know better, don't we? Every time you go out in a restaurant, you'll see someone bow her head and give thanks for the meal that God has provided. Or find yourself up in a jetliner during a storm at about 35,000 feet and a storm comes, a, a thunderstorm around the plane and you'll see a lot of praying of people who never prayed before. We know there has to be something bigger and better and more powerful, someone, something to whom we give gratitude. When we think we live by our own power, our own will, our own might, when we as a nation think we have pulled ourselves up by our own technological and economic bootstraps, then we will discover that God is still God. That to God, nations are nothing but a drop in the bucket and they rise and they fall and a single catastrophe ends a culture and a people. G.K. Chesterton said it this way, I, I suppose it's like this. If my children wake up on Christmas morning and have somebody to thank for putting candy in their stockings, then I have someone to thank for putting two feet into mine. Gratitude. Thirdly, when the wonder fades, we, we slide to purposeless emptiness. We have no reason of being. We, we are reduced to merely the material and we lose our gratitude, but also there's the inevitable slide into emptiness. Our present generation has more sophisticated toys than any generation before, and yet the awe and the wonder of those things, the thrill span is shorter with each toy than it was the previous one. We have this built-in obsolescence, and we lose our wonder and our awe, and life becomes a bore. H.L. Minkin said, the problem with life is, is not this a tragedy, but rather that life is a bore. A child who's filled and taught to wonder at all of God's created order has a sense of enchantment, a sense of significance, and a sense of meaning. And when the wonder fades, we slide into absolute emptiness. When we cease to wonder at who God is, the creator and not creation, we begin to think of ourselves or some random power as bringing creation and order and boundaries to our culture. When the wonder fades, we slide to emptiness. And fourthly and finally, when the wonder fades, we slide to a culture of chaos. When the wonder fades, we slide to a, a culture of chaos. 
If there is no designer, there is no God. If there is no God, there are no boundaries. If there are no boundaries, then I become idolatrous in worshiping for myself and my own power and my own decision-making. And thus, we end up in a culture where people think they can choose their gender, even their species. And don't be angry at these kids. They are pawns for political forces and they are confused and pray for them and love them. But when we lose the sense of God's creative power, his wonder and his amazement, all chaos breaks loose and we are left without boundaries and begin to worship ourselves. And I can be whatever I want to be, not what God has created me to be. You ever felt a slick skin of a snake as it maneuvers through your fingers? Ever had that feeling? Some of you don't want that feeling. I've, I've had that feeling. No arms, no legs, just raw muscle and motion. It's amazing. It's graceful and sly. It makes you wonder. Ever smelt the earth after an August thunder shower, the aroma of a leaf sent up to a parched dry land, almost as if a sacrifice for God to save her? Ever watch a caterpillar make a little cocoon? And then amazingly, just like a magician emerging from his magic box, the trunk of magic, he escapes as a butterfly. How does the ugly become beautiful? How does the common become magnificent? How does the crawling become a creature of flight? It makes you wonder. But if the wonder fades, if you forget who God is, and if we forget who we are, that he is creator, and he's made the boundaries, he told Job, I've made it all. I told the sea to stop. I know where the hell's stored. I know where the gates of death are. I know where light is. I know how to get there. He dwells in light, does he not? When the wonder fades. If you forget about God and look to only the simplistic and ever-changing and unreliable answers of simply today's science, there are terrible, terrible consequences. This is my father's world. And to my listening ears, all nature sings and around me rings the music of the spheres. This is my father's world. The birds their carols raise, the morning light, the lily white, declare the maker's praise. This is my father's world. He shines in all that's fair and the rustling grass I hear him pass. He speaks to me everywhere, never ever let the wonder of God's handiwork fade. Let's pray. God, just like Job, we can't make sense of it all or explain it all. But just like Job learns we can acknowledge that you're the creator and we're simply creation. And quite frankly, you don't owe an explanation to us. Father, we trust you even when we don't understand you. 
And we love you because you first loved us. And we awaken in the morning and look at the sun rising in the east and in the evening setting the west and we know it's all good. God is good. Your whole creation cries out for redemption just as humankind. Father, I pray if there's someone here this morning who's lost their wonder and their amazement, the power and the place of God in his life or her life, that today he would come or she would come and say, I'm creation and I need to honor the creator. I'm a sinner and I need a savior. I'm lost and I need to be found. Maybe there are others who would come to be a part of this fellowship. In the name of Jesus, we pray, amen.